Hey, I'm Tom Power. I'm the host of the podcast Q with Tom Power, where we talk to all kinds of artists, actors, writers, musicians, painters. We had Green Day on the other day talking about their huge album, American Idiot. Nicole Byer came on to talk about ADHD and comedy. And then there's Dan Levy. While we were talking about filmmaking, we talked about his insecurities. I sometimes feel like I have this desire to, like, perform, to be a version of myself that people might like. Listen to Q with Tom Power to hear your favorite artists as they truly are wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Hi, I'm Jamie Poisson. So last week, classified U.S. military documents, largely about the Ukraine war, started percolating around the Internet, where they've been making headlines ever since. It's being described as the most serious intelligence leak in years. Photographs of a trove of classified documents are reportedly circulating online. The urgency at the White House, undeniable. The Pentagon is now in damage control. There is serious concern among U.S. officials about the U.S.'s relationship with allies that are mentioned in these documents. Interestingly, they looked have started out on Discord, a gamer platform, where some of them were posted months ago. Just a bunch of uh, mostly, you know, some, te- some teenagers and some other mostly young men who just like to play Call of Duty and Halo and stuff together. The documents that have surfaced are just the tip of the iceberg. There's a lot more that's out there. The files exactly. cover things like Ukraine's weapon stocks and tactics in its war with Russia, U.S. spying on allies like South Korea, Israel, and even Ukraine itself as well as Russian interceptions that show all sorts of infighting. Then over the last few days, the Washington Post and then the New York Times released reports that pointed to the identity of the leaker, the administrator of the Discord channel. The person who leaked U.S. classified documents prompting a national security investigation is a gun enthusiast in his 20s who worked on a military base. And by the time I had wrapped up the conversation that you're about to hear, the FBI had swooped into a North Dighton, Massachusetts home and arrested a 21-year-old member of the intelligence wing of the Massachusetts Air National Guard. The Justice Department arrested Jack Douglas Teixeira in connection with an investigation into alleged unauthorized removal, retention, and transmission of classified national defense information. Today, Julian Borger is on the pod to talk about why this leak may have come out, how it compares to past ones, think Edward Snowden, and the real-world consequences it's having. Julian is a Washington-based world affairs editor with The Guardian, and he's been following this story really closely. Julian, hi. Thanks so much for coming on to FrontBurner. A pleasure. So so I mentioned in the intro, these documents were first apparently posted on Discord, the, the chat platform that video gamers are really into. And, and walk me through what was initially happening on Discord with these documents. There was a, a server called Thug Shaker Central, which was set up by some fans of uh, a YouTuber uh, called Oxide, who, uh, if you go on uh, his site, he puts up lots of videos of him testing out different guns. The Bison is another strange submachine gun among heaps of other Russian subgun weirdness that came out of the 90s. And so a few people who followed him set up their own Discord server called Thug Shaker um, Central, although it did have other names, one of them, which was a, involved a race, uh, racist slur, huh. giving some idea of, of, you know, the kind of mindset of these people. But most often it was called Thug Shaker Central. 
and it passed from one administrator to another and it came to an administrator who was generally known as OG who started posting uh first of all descriptions of what he claimed to be secret documents mm -hmm. and then photographs of what he said was secret documents that he'd got from the military base that he worked on and without getting into the details yet about what exactly these purported secret documents said like what kind of intelligence are we talking about like human intelligence uh interceptions summaries wiretaps like what a, a, a mix of, of things some of it was signals intelligence so very sensitive uh, either eavesdropping or hacking and to make it more sensitive it was signals intelligence gathered on allies quite close allies in some cases so it, it involved very sensitive uh, material and then a lot of it was just shared military intelligence about efforts to get arms and ammunition to the ukrainians and the discussions with allies about doing that so a lot of the material was uh, about ukraine and this administrator uh, who at the time was called og set up a special channel which he called bear versus pig uh, supposedly a reference to the war and did he ever explain in this chat forum like why he was doing this? Yes, he presented himself as a sort of avuncular figure to the young teenagers and young other young males on the chat group, trying to um, educate them so that they would understand more about the world around them. So it was kind of a sort of he took on a sort of uh, patriarch figure and describe other group members as being you know this sort of charismatic action man uh bad of mystery and so he kind of had them in his thrall and the use of these documents only kind of strengthened that bond it in, uh -huh. enhanced his status so you know in a word it was showing off yeah and the washington post uh they have this really interesting piece that they published Wednesday night, and they sourced two people from that Discord chat group. I want to keep OG's identity secret because I still care for him, like he's a family member. He did see himself as the leader of this group, and he ultimately he was the leader of this group. And he wanted us all to be sort of super soldiers to some degree, informed, fit, with God, well-armed, stuff like that. Like you just explained, they said that they really kind of revered him. They saw him as like a Jason born sort of character. And then on Thursday, right before you and I got on to do to record this podcast, the New York Times reported that the administrator of the group is a guy named Jack Teixeira, who is a 21 year old member of the intelligence wing of the Massachusetts Air National Guard. And so uh, given what you you just said to me, like, are you surprised to see this reporting, which I guess essentially debunks the idea that these leaks were some kind of state actor, right? Yeah, I, I think that has been clear for the last few days that this would be the, this was the shape of it, that these were young uh, men, one of them uh, with some kind of clearance in the uh, Defense Department, uh, some kind of military figure, and that they were sharing this uh, to show off, uh, you know, young men showing off to each other. Um, and so it was clear for several days that this was very unlikely to be some kind of state-sponsored, dastardly plan to undermine the, the U.S. I don't think that there was a goal nor some sort of accomplishment that he was looking for in sharing these documents. Of course, there's some 
anti-government sentiment, but that's not unlike most right-wingers in the modern day and age. OG was not hostile to the US government. However, he had disagreed with several occasions such as Waco and Ruby Ridge and thought that the government is overreaching in several aspects. There was no heavy Snowden-like conspiracy here like some people may believe. these documents make their way from the Thug Shaker Central Discord server to the wider to the wider world? Well, they had a kind of convoluted path and they they stayed on Thug Shaker for some months without anything really happening. And then at one point, late February, beginning of March, one of the, the younger members of that group uploaded a selection of those documents on another server group called Wow Mao, which is devoted to fandom of a Filipino YouTuber who puts up a lot of content about Asian and European history. So all quite random, but this th- it was a c- kind of intersection of this particular teenager's interests. And so he thought, oh, I'll put them up here. Although we've talked to one of the administrators of that group, uh, who advised him against doing it and, and thought it was the wrong thing to do, but he did it anyway. Ah. And so then they materialized on WowMow. And from there, they were also shared on a uh, another server used by uh, uh, people playing Minecraft. This was all in, in March. And then it was another few weeks before it made its way to a right-wing forum called 4chan. Uh, where two people are having an argument, uh, disagreeing about Ukraine, and one of them said, well, look at this, and produced some of these documents. So it kind of made its way through the various ecosystems on the on the internet and these server groups of like-minded individuals. And it took a very long time before it drew attention that these very sensitive documents were circulating, and it was only in April that it began to be reported in the media that there was a problem. So interesting to hear the kind of convoluted, winding journey that these documents had. Is anyone questioning their veracity? Yes, some people are. The the British officials have been playing uh, a, a slightly crooked game in terms of briefing people saying, well, uh, you know, some are wrong, some are being forged, or both. Uh, but uh, in fact, as far as we know, we only know one document to have been forged for sure, and that was when it was reposted on Telegram, the, the Russian messaging app, mm. where it had been manipulated to change casualty numbers. But apart from that, and that was a reposting of an original no US official has pointed to any of these documents uh, and said they are false. But while not officially confirming the validity, have only really objected to one of them Mm -hmm. in terms of factual content or authentic content. I've reported other people's stories for a long time, confronting people in power. But behind this broadcast voice, I've hidden my greatest secret. I was in an abusive marriage. It lasted a year, but it changed my life. 
Part of me always blamed myself for what happened, and I've lived with the shame. So many of us live like this. It's time we change that. I'm Anna Maria Tremonti. Welcome to Paradise is my story. Available now on CBC Listen and everywhere you get your podcasts. I want to talk with you a little bit later about how this leak fits into, you know, a larger context of past leaks that we've seen. But first, maybe, maybe we could just talk a little bit more in detail about what these documents actually say. And perhaps we could start with what they say about Ukraine's preparations for a spring offensive. What, what have we learned? There are a lot of maps uh, that show the deployment of uh, Ukrainian forces and then a spreadsheet uh, showing the efforts to build up these 12 new brigades that Ukraine would need to carry out an offensive, how far they have progressed, how many are were being kind of homegrown, which are three, and the, the other nine being built up by uh, allies and partners, kind of snapshot progress report in February, showing how far those had come along. And there were other documents that talked about what other countries were going to provide, uh, which countries were reluctant to provide uh, arms and ammunition, and so on. It really gave a portrait of the international effort to get Ukraine ready for a counteroffensive, try and push the Russians back. What struck me reading about some of these documents is is that the U.S. seems at times quite pessimistic about Ukraine's prospects here, right? Which which is probably in contrast to how they talk publicly about the war. And, and would you agree with that? Yes, absolutely. I mean, this was a, sh- a snapshot back in February, uh, where they said that given the levels of uh, manpower or the, the number of troops, and the kind of equipment necessary, there was prospects for big territorial gains were not high. They were kind of downbeat on how much territory the Ukrainians could win back. You know, talking to some other European officials, they kind of dismissed that, saying the Americans have always been downbeat about Ukraine's potential, you know, from the very beginning of the war. Um, But it is quite a sober assessment. The documents also show how the U.S. spies on its allies, which is not a new thing, obviously. But some of them, you know, contain purportedly private conversations between South Korean officials talking about supplying artillery shells to the U.S. And uh, this has created quite a few headlines in recent days. Tell me a little bit more about what they are saying and uh, the problems that that's created for both the U.S. and South Korea. Yeah, it's a problem with South Korea, also Israel and Ukraine itself, because it's clear in these documents that signals intelligence has been used. So signals intelligence has been used against allies, very close allies, which means, you know, they're being bugged or they're being hacked. Now, this probably will not come as a uh, surprise to any of them in that they know the game. And uh, in the intelligence world, and in particular in the signals intelligence world, the, the only real immunity seems to be membership of Five Eyes, which mm-hmm. is the US, Canada, UK, uh, Australia, New Zealand, sort of English speaking, uh, Anglo Saxon world, which is a intelligence coalition. But just being an ally, even a really close ally like Israel, like South Korea and Ukraine, 
does not, it seem, give you uh, immun- immunity to being spied on by the Americans. Tell me a little bit about what's in the documents when it comes to what the U.S. like has been able to glean from South Korean officials, Israeli officials. Like, what, what's the meat of the uh, spying, essentially, here? Well, in, in South Korea, it was about a debate within the National Security Office about whether South Korea could provide ammunition uh, that could end up in Ukraine, because that is banned by law in South Korea, providing armaments to a party to an active conflict. And so there was concern that if they gave these shells in particular, 155 millimeter shells, which are badly needed to kind of keep the artillery barrage going and to support a counter offensive, if they gave those to the US, would they end up on the battlefield uh, in Ukraine? Would there be a workaround by giving them to Poland, which next door to Ukraine? So this debate was going on in South Korea uh, because they were coming under pressure from the Americans to start supplying uh, ammunition, and it was causing tensions within the government in Seoul. Um, When it comes to Israel, I mean, the most eyebrow-raising revelation was a reported encouragement from the leadership of the intelligence agency Mossad, uh, encouraging officials in Mossad to go out and take part in the protests against government judicial reforms that are widely believed would uh, limit the independence of the judiciary in Israel and be anti-democratic. And now that's been denied by uh, Mossad, but it hasn't been denied uh, as authentic by the the US. So maybe what they're denying is the accuracy of the reporting rather than the authenticity of the document. And you also mentioned the documentary evidence of like the US spying on Ukraine. What have we seen there? Uh, We have seen um, discussions between the president and top generals, for example, about using drones to attack behind the lines inside Russia and the kind of discussion they had that suggests that, that signals intelligence was used. Mm-hmm. And, but, you know, most disturbing, I think, for the Ukrainians is showing where they have, for example, air defences and showing that they were running short on air defence missiles. Obviously, that's something that Russia can exploit. On the other side of this, the documents also reveal reportedly all kinds of infighting in Russia, right? Uh, There was disagreement over death tools between the defense ministry and the head of the mercenary group, the Wagner group, over ammunition supplies. And what's your big takeaway from like the level of intelligence the U.S. appears to have on Russian communications? It's clear that their penetration of the Russian military and intelligence is quite deep. And in a way, this is probably the most damaging aspect of this leak for the, from the point of view of the U.S., um, that it shows the kind of collection capabilities the U.S. has, what they are able to find out and what they're not able to find out, which could be equally valuable. So they'll know in terms of their counterintelligence what's working and what's not. And that will give them cues about how to change things mm-hmm. to make what they're doing more opaque to U.S. intelligence. So if you were to take out one particular element that is the most damaging impact on this for for U.S. national security, I would say it's that. They really, to some extent, show their hand to the Russians about what they know and what they don't know. 
talking about the fallout here and the impact of all of this, I wonder if you could put this in, in kind of historical context for me. Uh, when we think about this leak in terms of scale and relevance, how does it compare to what we saw with something like Edward Snowden, who released highly classified documents from the U.S. National Security Agency that revealed like essentially a, like a global spying program? Well, the, the Snowden revelations were far bigger in volume. I mean, there were there were tens of thousands of documents. And here we're talking maybe at, at most a few hundred. But here, a lot of the documents are about uh, an active conflict. War is going on. And so if there is an impact, it could cost lives. It's got a very immediate impact. There was arguably a public interest in Snowden's revelations in that we found out that a form of mass surveillance was uh, being carried out by Western uh, governments, particularly US, aided by the UK and other members of Five Eyes. The populations in those countries were unaware of and didn't, as it turned out, approve of. So that's another difference. So there was a strong public interest argument for those documents to be made available, whereas these have been released in time of war, they are legitimate military secrets, and then becoming known is likely to help the Russians who are conducting a, a war of aggression inside Ukraine and carrying out mass killings. It will help them in the prosecution of that war uh, and could very conceivably uh, lead to the loss of lives. You know, this week, Joe Biden was asked about the leaks, and, and he kind of downplayed it. Are you concerned about okay, the leaks? Okay, guys, it's time to go. Let's well, go. Cool, we got to move. I'm not concerned about the leakages. I'm concerned that it happened. But there's nothing contemporaneous that I'm aware of. But listening to you today, that, that does sound like something you and others would certainly push back on. There could be some very real-world effects here. Yeah, I would put that under the heading of he would say that, wouldn't he? <laughs> but, you know, he, he has to downplay it. But, you know, it depends what you may about contemporaneous. I mean, um, they're not today, but March is pretty recent. And the, you know, the issues that they uh, address are issues that are at hand today, like the arming and readiness of Ukrainian forces. So there's no question that they're damaging. Uh, and they also show uh, America's hand in terms of its capabilities. What we know about the alleged leaker, you know, as of Thursday uh, mid-afternoon, when you and I are talking, you know, he's, he's a young guy who is working, according to him, at a military base. What does that say to you about how many people have access to classified information? You know, when we talk about top secret documents, what does that what does that mean in this context? It means in the U.S. context, not very secret at all. Uh, according to the Office of Director of National Intelligence, 1.25 million people in the U.S. have access to that level of clearance, top, uh, top secret. Wow. Uh, an insane amount of people. And uh, it was the same issue over Snowden. Remember, Snowden was a contractor and one of many people seeing... Uh, not just U.S. secrets, but uh, allied countries' secrets as well. And here is a perfect example of what can go wrong. Wrong. This guy is 21 years old. He's in a Air National Guard base 
in Massachusetts, and so he is able to see Ukraine's uh, you know efforts and steps to get ready for a vital counteroffensive that he does not need to know. There's no reason a 21-year-old in Massachusetts in a National Guard base needs to know about what's going on between uh, U.S. and its allies and uh, Ukrainian uh, military preparations. And so clearly the system is distorted and completely dysfunctional. It's very hard to get a national security clearance in terms of, you know, the vetting they go through, who you know, and do you have, do you know any jihadists? Do you, were you born in Russia and so on, things like that. But once you've got it, it gives you access to an enormous amount of material. And they're not looking for things uh, that would seem like red flags to us. Political preferences, love of guns, uh, a conspiratorial mindset. That, in terms of this vetting, does not seem to be a red flag in the way that uh, you know, having a Russian relative or coming from the Middle East might do. And so there's clearly needed to be a complete review of how this is done. And they're already talking about that in the Pentagon, that they're going to review this. But then they said that after the Snowden revelations. And it's clear that not much in terms of the structure and how the U.S. does security clearance and then shares volumes of secrets across uh, those levels of security clearance. It's clear that hasn't changed. Julian, thank you so much. This was so interesting. Thank you so much for coming by. A pleasure. All right, that is all for this week. Frontburner was produced this week by Lauren Donnelly, Rafferty Baker, Matt Cameron, Matt Alma, Jody Martinson, Matt Muse, and Imogen Burchard. Our sound design was by Sam McNulty and Matt Cameron. Our intern is Constantina Varlacostas. Our music is by Joseph Shabasov. Our executive producer is Nick McCabe-Locos. And I'm Jamie Poisson. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.